Uh, so the, the, ta- the title today uh, that, that I gave to Robert and that he kept, he was going to use it, was, is called Enough to Live. And that's still, it's still the title. This passage comes from the, the lectionary reading. And uh, this morning, I'm just going to share some things, some, uh, some, for me, insights and observations in this passage for a few minutes, and also just kind of connect it to uh, everything that's kind of going on this morning as best as I can. Uh, so this morning, like I said, we met with the, with the leadership pipeline. There's nine people in that group, and uh, I'm really excited about it, and we were, we were talking about various aspects of the church. And we were talking about this, uh, this thing in the scriptures that Jesus talks about a lot called the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I shared that when I was uh, in my early 20s and I was really studying the Bible and really trying to make sense of, of the world from a theological perspective, the, the st- the how I studied and thought about God, um, the people that I was learning for from, in large part, didn't seem to be concerned or to talk about the kingdom of heaven. That there was a lot of, uh, of formulas and a lot of really neat-fitting, kind of boxed-in ideas. And once you got outside of that framework, there wasn't, there wasn't a lot to discuss there. And so for a long time, I struggled with this idea of the, the kingdom of heaven, how was it relevant? How did it relate? It always seemed like something I had to like tack on or tag on to the other more important theological ideas. But as my world and my experiences changed and shifted and those formulas became less and less useful to me, uh, to, to actually live and work out the realities of my life, the kingdom of heaven started to, to, to make so much more sense to me. It started to breathe new life into my perspective on God, my relationship with God, how I considered being loved and loving others. And that's so much about what this passage is talking about. And I've, I've found that as I've embraced these ideas of, of the kingdom of heaven more and more, that it's, it's shifted my life in ways that has made it less compartmentalized. Like less, I have to keep this thought over here and that thought over there. These ideas can't go together. Do you ever, you ever feel like that? Like you can't let certain feelings about things connect with certain things you believe. That uh, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're scared of letting those things happen. Maybe you're not even aware that you do it. If I'd, if I'd had time to plan this sermon, I would have a really great joke about that right now that I would tell you that would be about something trivial in life where I can't do that. So insert that joke there. Um, but uh, for me, when I thought about that, it, 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 began to seep into every aspect of my life. Everything that I did mattered when I wasn't just living to believe certain things so that I could escape or deny reality in front of me, but I actually found that I could look more carefully at my life and at the things happening inside of me and around me. I could stare reality in the face 
and I could find God in the reality, not the escape from reality. And that began to transform my thinking and my actions. I, I, I read an article last week uh, in, in uh, Psychology Today, and the, and the guy was explaining how science is about reality, and science doesn't care what you think uh, or feel about your life, that science just is, as opposed to religion, that religion is all about trying to not look at reality and try to feel comfort in in ways and areas that there is no comfort to be actually had. And I thought, huh, that's really interesting. It's, it's, it's obvious, I've heard those kinds of things before. But I also, um, I've also had a really different experience. I've had the experience of having a religion where I could see pieces and glimpses of God that was in denial of reality. But in the past several years in my life, I have found that the closer I'm willing to look at real life, at death, about my frailty, about my neediness, about the people that I care about and the things that I care about that are finite, that will not last forever, I have found God. I have found God in all of those places. And I think, I think that is something of what Jesus means when he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about, look at the birds over here. Look at the lilies of the field. Look at these aspects of ordinary life and you can find and see God. In this passage, Jesus is before a, a political leader named Pilate. And what Pilate wants to do is he, he wants to get out of this situation with, a, with the least amount of discomfort for his personal life as he can. He's dealing with this, okay, this, other, this next religious fanatic, this next religious leader, and his people want to kill him for something. And Pilate is very disinterested in this whole situation, except for the fact that it could impact his comfort or it could impact him economically as a leader of these people here. And so we see Jesus faced to face with Pilate where his own people have put him up on trumped up charges and they're having this conversation. So Pilate is a king, he's a ruler of a local jurisdiction that is enforced and given authority by the most powerful ruler in the Western world at the time, Caesar and uh, in Rome. And they're having this conversation about kingdoms and authority and really about reality. And so it says here in verse 33 that Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? This question's really interesting, right, right out of the gate. Um, Pilate's asking him this question because Pilate is just trying to get to the bottom of this. Just tell me who you are so I know how to deal with you. I know what, if you've done something wrong or whatever, how do I relate to you and your authority um, so I can make a very practical decision about my life and my comfort or discomfort? 
And Jesus just asks him a question back. Man, Jesus is so frustrating. He's just always constantly just throwing questions right back at you. He seems really concerned with challenging your idea of reality. I'm so glad that that's what Jesus is like because I found reality to be really complex and confusing sometimes and not fit really neatly into equations. So he says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? So Jesus is, is trying to get Pilate to question the source of his information. Is it based on experience or is it based on what other people have told you? So even in the face of certain death, Jesus is still poking the bear. <laughs> and Pilate's response in verse 35 shows his level of disinterest again. He says, am I a Jew? Your own people and your chief priests handed you over to me. So just tell me what you've done. What did you do? So I can deal with you, man. And then Jesus responds with an awfully perplexing response. Verse 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. So, uh, Jesus says, look, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to drop something on you and I'm not even going to bother like going way into it. You're not going to understand it anyway. Um, but I'm going to tell you, you're asking me what I've done, but what I need you to know is that what I'm doing is on a whole nother plane of viewing reality than, than yours. That, that what, you, what you're going to try to make sense out of here it's not gonna make sense to you because I'm operating, we both see the same things in front of us, but we have totally different conclusions about what those things are and what they mean. So, um, so Jesus says, I'm about this other kingdom. I'm about uh, a kingdom that's not of this world. And then he contrasts, he lets you know what would happen if he wasn't, if it was the same thing everybody else was doing. If, if I were a king of this world, then my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, right? Makes sense. If Jesus is the authority in the same way that we think about authorities in our world, like a regular politician or a governor or a president or whatever, then we would fight for him. We would make sure he doesn't get killed. And he says, this is the part that really hits home, I think for me and maybe for you too, is he says, uh, he says, if this was my kingdom, like your kingdom is, my servants would fight for it. And so the question then that I ask myself is what, what are the things that I'm fighting for? And, and what kingdom does it relate to? What kind of battles am I consumed with? What type of energy am I putting forth to fight maybe a cultural war, maybe an ideological war? Maybe it's the wars inside of my family, the things that I wanna fight about. And are those things primarily concerned with these this fleeting idea of power and authority that Pilate's consumed with, that the religious leaders that put Jesus up to this is consumed with, or am I consumed with some other world, some other 
kingdom that can be found in the same exact place of where I am right now. So the question that we're trying to ask here is what do I do with what I've been given? In this whole sermon series, in this church-wide campaign, what do we as a church, what do we as individuals do with what we've been given? And here Jesus is faced with certain death, and yet he feels he has enough, he has enough resources, he has enough time to be able to live into this other type of reality, this kingdom of heaven. And so that's the question we're trying to ask ourselves right now. When will you have enough to live? When will you have enough to share? When will you have enough to give? These kinds of questions. And I think that answer differs wildly depending on what are the kingdoms you are fighting for. What are the comforts you're unwilling to disrupt in your life? And um, so this morning in the leadership meeting, we were talking about money. And I was telling the, the leadership that, uh, the leadership team that it is first and foremost our responsibility as leaders to raise uh, this money as in proportion to our, uh, our means as each individual family and household. And I said, how do you feel about that? What are the types of feelings that come up for you? What are the kinds of stories in your mind that come up as you think about these things? And so you can look at those things and you can find if you're responding to what I'm saying or you're reacting to some other thing that you're fighting against some other situation that's in your past that's like a specter or a ghost that's haunting you. Here's why I hate talking about money and here's why I think it's so important. Because it's intrusive. It feels really intrusive to talk about money and to ask people, hey, give. And don't just give, but give sacrificially. And, and Jesus understood this idea really well. The only other scripture, the only other thing I, I, I had time to throw together was just to put this other scripture up for us to look at from Matthew 6, where he's teaching on the kingdom of heaven. And leading up to this passage, he's talking about uh, how you give, how you pray, and how you fast. And he's setting up different ways of doing that. And he's talking about rewards. He's saying, for example, if you pray out loud in the streets and you use big flowery words, then you've actually achieved what you wanted to achieve, which was to have people hear you and to be impressed, okay? So if we think, oh, well, I don't pray out in the streets, so I'm good on that one. Well, the heart of what Jesus is saying here is that there are different cause and effect relationships depending on how and why we do different things. There can be rewards in this world and we can be consumed with what those give us and we can spend our short, waking, difficult years grasping for things that will fall through our hands like sand and be forgotten when we're gone. 
Or we can live into the same world with similar actions into something that actually has substance and lasts, this kingdom of heaven, more than just simply materiality and yet seen and lived through the material world. So he says this in verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then down in verse 24, he says, of the same chapter, no one can serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Uh, so in these passages, Jesus is, is, is reorienting uh, the listeners, and we are listeners right now, uh, reorienting our thinking about our physical resources. And some of us, this type of thinking or, or there's types of thinking associated with these verses that have been used in harmful ways in your past. Or even like the, um, the, uh, the televangelist, like sow your seed today, you know, like send me this amount of money and God will automatically do these kinds of things in your life is like almost like a magic thing that this guy is like the shaman of and can facilitate these things. But I mentioned the things that happened before that, and I mentioned this in the context of these verses because I think Jesus is trying to teach us about living in the kingdom of heaven, that there is a way to do it, and that one of the ways that gets to the heart of it even quicker than almost anything else is money, is money that our financial resources, they give us a sense of security. They give us a sense that we're in control, that we can manage things, that we can keep our things and our people safe. And so if we give of that, we give of what we've been given, um, then that would mean we would have to be trusting in something else. A lot of leaders in our country will bypass the whole aspect of faith here and instead they'll just try to shame you into giving and and say like well you should if you don't give you should feel really bad and guilty but i think what jesus is talking about here and what i'd like to to champion here as well is you just miss out you miss out on one of the most uh penetrating ways of being able to see the kingdom of heaven in your life. It is, it is in contradiction to our capitalist world that says you will be happy, you will be fulfilled if you can get enough stuff, if you can have enough things in your house, if you can have a big enough house, if you can make that next career jump, if you can just offer this greater uh, a sense of security and fulfillment, get to that gated community, do these types of things. It's just the nat next natural step. 
And I've, I've been in and worked actually in, I've been on both sides of recovery communities and I've seen men and women who have achieved all of those things and been cavernous, hollow people who have destroyed their lives. It reminds me of Jesus saying, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? So Jesus is saying here, this is a different kingdom, man. This is a different way of living, of viewing the same reality, the same thing you see. I see it completely different. So this is what I want you all to consider. This is what I want, you, want to ask you this morning. That's really important. Is it possible the things that you're seeing right now, the conclusions you're coming to about them, about your relationship with your spouse, your family, about your career and what you need to do next, about the things you need to have in your bank account or the possessions you need to amass or the new car you need to get or whatever those things are. Is it possible, even though you're clear about what you're seeing, the conclusions you're coming to about them might be causing you to miss out on the kingdom of heaven at work? Could it be that you're more like Pilate in some areas of your life where you're thinking, I just don't want to be in, oh, so you're a king. Okay, right, all right. So what do I need to do about that? What, how do I get you off my back and feel like I've checked that box in my life as opposed to somebody who can reshape and reorient your entire understanding of reality? through giving and eating soup with poor people, or rather red beans and rice, I think is one of the menu items. Through thinking, why am I not in a place to be able to give because my resources are so tied up in so many other things. So in verse 37, and I'm coming to the, the conclusion here, uh, Pilate says, ah, so you are a king then. And Jesus answers, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And that word side, uh, that phrase, the side of truth, the, some translations render that everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me from the, the way that the structure of the Greek word is. And this is, this is the thing I wanna leave you with from this passage that relates to what we think about this kingdom, this life that we have, is your life is a gift. Nobody remembers being born. Nobody will be able to conceive of or be present even in their own death. It's the one thing you can't actually conceive of, non-being, non non-existence. Your life is given to you. The things you have in your life are given to you. And so I think it's really interesting that Jesus says this this way, that he says, those that belong to the truth, listen to my words. 
it's kind of a reverse order from, from some of that conversation that a lot of us have had culturally grow, growing up. This idea of owning the truth, that you can own the truth and you can, you can render the truth unto your reality and that it's yours to shepherd and to um, decide uh, about what the reality is. But Jesus says that in the reverse order, he says it's actually that those who belong, who give themselves over to the truth are the same as the people that hear me and listen to me. Our life is a gift. Our finances, our resources, our relationships, they're all gifts that we've been given. The grace of God manifests in our lives. And so what does it mean for us to see that reality, to begin to ask God to reshape our reality of the world, to see the same things everybody else does, but see the kingdom of heaven at work, to see the things we've been given as gifts, to give ourselves over to something that's greater than our appetites, our comforts, so that we don't look at Jesus and say, oh yeah, so you're a king, so what do I do with you? But we see Jesus as the possibility of seeing a reality that's greater than ourselves, greater than something that will simply pass away, that will simply uh, fade through our hands like sand. So that's all. That's what I got this morning. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this morning. And we pray again for Mandy's speedy recovery. I thank you for all the people in the church building this morning who are a part of Christ City, who seek to push into and live into the kingdom of heaven with faith, with doubt, with fear, uh, with passion, uh, with all of the things that we have with us this morning. Be with us this morning as we come to the table. Fill us with your presence, with your kingdom, with your love. In Jesus' name, amen.